0: This one? There we go. When there's options. It's hard sometimes. Um, just a few announcements for you this morning. Um, first, welcome to Renew. We're happy to see you. I'm not gonna cry today. Um, We do want to make sure that you are all connected to Renew and that you're getting the updates and that you're aware of what's going on. Um, So there are some connection cards out on the info table in the lobby. Um, So again, it's just a way to stay connected, to get updates, to find out what's happening in the life of our church, and also to have access to the map of parking. Um, Just a reminder not to park on the street. There are designated parking spots. So if you fill out a connection card, you can get this in your email inbox so you always know where to go on Sunday mornings. Um, We do have a couple of events coming up at Renew. First on June 22nd is the Renew Ladies Pool Party out at Paulette McDonald's house. It is from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. From 12.30 to one, there is gonna be a Kona Shaved Ice Truck out there. This is open to all Renew Ladies, kids so invite your friends even if you don't have kids come have fun hang out Um, if you are interested in serving there during that um, during the event you can sign up for a 20-minute kind of eyes on the pool Slot to help out, keep an eye on the kids, um, and you can do that by sending a direct message on Renew's Instagram page. Um, if you need the address to Paul at McDonald's house for this event, just reach out either to um, through email or again through the Instagram page for Renew. Then, very exciting, at the end of July is the Youth Summer Camp up at Camp Peaceful Pines. So this is for all high school students, including incoming freshmen. It's July 28th through 31st. You can still sign up to attend if you are interested in going to camp this summer. The cost is $225. It's four days, three nights. You get a t-shirt, you get a camp photo. I guess there's gonna be really, really good food because the word good is in all caps in my email, which at camp, you don't always get good food. So if it's in all caps, it's probably really, really good. So you should definitely go just to have the good food at camp. But there's going to be games and hikes, good sermons, worship together, lots of team building. Um, Camp is always such a great time to fellowship during a time when school is out. And you're not seeing your people quite as regularly. So please sign up. You can do that through renewmodesto.com. Thanks.
1: Well, it's my privilege this morning to uh, introduce Troy and Becca Sammons to you when I come up, Troy. Um, Troy and Becca and their family are impact partners and uh, serve in South Sudan, our home home assignment for a while, I think until this fall or so. He serves with Christian Veterinary Mission, and uh, they have their three beautiful daughters and one handsome son with them today, so... Uh, would you help me welcome Troy Salmons? Good morning. Good morning. Before I forget, I need to do something that involves you guys. So we've been serving in South Sudan for the last five years. The home church that we have there is called African Inland, Mich- or African Inland Church in Ifwenyak. It's a small little church made of mud and tin. Um, but that's where we've been fellowshipping for the last five years. As is their custom, me as their member, if I go to another church, I have to bring greetings. So that's what I'm doing this morning. And you guys have to uh, receive those greetings by warming up your hands and cheering as if your favorite team just won the Super Bowl. (laughs) So on three. Excellent job. So I will return those greetings back to them. Um, Our family has been serving for the last 13 years, seven of those in Kenya, the last five in South Sudan, and as we return in the fall, we will be transitioning back to Kenya to serve both in Kenya and in South Sudan. So that's our plan. But this morning, I wanted to start with a question. Um, The question is this. If you were a retiring African bishop, and you were telling one of the young guys coming to be a missionary some words of wisdom... What words would you impart to him? So my friend received this quote on this slide. It's a little bit hard to read, but it says, Feast on the word and live it out in the village. And if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this quote from the African bishop giving it to a young missionary going out. Feast on the word and live it out in the village. So on the next slide, you'll see Robert... This is the village that he went to. He's the one that received this quote from the retiring bishop. Him and his wife have been serving in this little village called Iboni in the Lopete Mountains. On the outside, it is spectacular. Nestled in the mountains with these tall, peaked, palm-leafed, roofed, thatched huts that they have around. um, Winding roads going through the village in the rainy season is green and lush all around and grows lots of food. So you go back to that quote and you think, okay, I could do this. Live in the village, it's very organic. You'll see in the next pictures the way that life works in the village. It has, on the left is a young girl that she's grinding their their sorghum for their evening meal. So sorghum is their main cereal crop there. They grind it and eat it with a loaf of greens. My friend Thomas in the middle is planting and harvesting his peanuts and the lady, the little girl on the right, carrying water for her family. So life is very organic in the village, quite a beautiful setting. Doesn't sound too difficult until you kind of get underneath that layer. And underneath that layer, the rest of the village is there. And it is filled with disease, and it is filled with suffering, and it is filled with sickness. So in this village, this low peat village, they raise cows and they farm, and you can see that the disease even reaches the cows. So this is my token veterinary picture for the day. Uh, take it in. They're sitting in thigh-high mud and wallowing in a lot of disease that that reaches that village. But the disease isn't only in the animals; it's also in the people. Routinely, they're trying to evacuate people that have severe malaria or birth problems. South Sudan ranks at either the top of the list or the bottom of the list of all of the, the lists and statistics. So infant mortality and, um, is the highest in the world, and many of those statistics are there. And so there's a lot of disease and a lot of things to deal with, and so when you go back to that quote, feast on the word and live it out in the village, it's talking about living it out in much suffering. But the suffering that's there is much deeper than just the suffering on the surface, the suffering of disease, it's also a suffering of the heart. The village of Iboni can't walk by foot to the following village on the other side of the mountain because if they do, they might get shot. There's been a 90-year revenge war going back and forth and so at times it flares, so it's never safe to walk on the road between even their own tribesmen on the villages. The women in the village, if they're in a feud with each other, they yell across the village and have an argument across the village. So Robert and his wife lived in that house, woke up to villagers yelling across the room, or across the villages from mountain to mountain, because they were upset with it. So as we look at the suffering that it takes to live that out, that quote out, it changes the picture. And this morning, I want to talk on the very happy topic of suffering. <laughs> because in our context, we have a lot of suffering, more than we've ever experienced. And it's been very shaping in the way that I look not only at missions, but as I look at the Bible and I try to process it. And so as I've come through these, these last five years, it's really pushed me to look at what is suffering. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor, what does he really mean in those situations? And so this morning, as we want to look at this, but as a missionary, we die a thousand deaths. So, in this last term, there's the, the real deaths that we have to deal with. Our colleague, close work colleague, and a pastor in Tarit, where we stay, was murdered a mile from our house. It was a revenge murder because he was of the right status in the community. And another clan had a vendetta against them and decided that they would murder our friend. The church was blamed for that murder and drug into prison um, falsely because of it. So we walked through that suffering. Right after we left South Sudan in November, we got a call that our good friend that had moved to the same village, the village of Lopit, that Robert was serving in. As a South Sudanese, he moved his young family there left a job in Tarit and moved there just to proclaim the gospel to the people. And he died of malaria, leaving two, his wife and two young kids of his own and four others that he takes care of. So we look at the physical deaths, and it really affects us. We deal with loss more than any other thing. This is a picture of a funeral with our pastor that, in the church there in the little village that we work with. Our social event is funerals. We've probably been to 50 in the time that we've been there. Most of them we don't know. The people in in South Sudanese, they communally grieve very well. But I haven't been to a wedding. I rarely go to any other celebratory event, but I'm always at the funerals. So that kind of gives you the context of what we deal with in death and the suffering that is there, but it, it goes beyond just the physical deaths. There's a very good death, a death of our own pride, our death of our own comfort (laughs) that comes with it, death of competence, not knowing the language, and struggling through with an elementary school style of language. So there's deaths of all sorts that we face. And I wanted to tell you of one of the sufferings and deaths that we had to go through. And this was the death of my favorite pair of shoes. And the story starts is that I have very finicky feet. And so a good pair of shoes is a great thing to have in South Sudan. And this was the best pair of shoes. And on a Saturday night, I got a call from our friend Joseph, who works with us, and he said, my uncle has passed away. Would you be willing to take the body to Lodo, the village where he's from? Immediately, my heart dropped. The question in my mind was, why in the world Did I get this question? The rest of the missionaries were out of town, so the burden fell to me. My car is really big, it can haul a lot of people, and so I reluctantly said, yes, tomorrow after church we'll go to the village, knowing the road that I had to drive. So every road in South Sudan is terrible, but this is my worst road in South Sudan. So you drive a little ways, then you go down into a a huge pit hole, usually covered with a placid lake of water. And underneath, you have no idea what's underneath. So this is the drive. Just not one, but every five minutes into another pit hole, out of another pit hole, into another pit hole, out of another pit hole. On a really good day, it takes an hour. On a really bad day, you don't make it. So (laughs) the dry season, there's no water. The wet season, it's impassable. We are somewhere in between. And he says, can you take me? And I think, no, I really don't want to do this, but it's the right thing to do. So I go through the morning. I go to the village church as my tradition in the morning. And then I go through to the other church. And after church, we load up the car and drive to the site uh, where the body is and where the family has gathered. And we drive to the site, and I am so, so happy because another car has volunteered and taken the body out. And I think, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to drive that road. But in my moment of weakness, the rest of the crowd that's there is saying, can you please take us out so we can mourn the loss of our brother in the village together? And so for some reason which I still don't understand. I said, yes, and we packed the car full of people. And this car can hold a lot of people, like 12 or so. And we started on our way. So this is about a half an hour into the journey. I made the wrong choice of going left instead of right in the water and ended up like this. Not to worry, there's a winch on the front of the car. So we climbed out the door, tried not to step in the puddle with my nice shoes, climbed over onto the bull bar and started pulling the winch out. And the winch kept coming and kept coming and kept coming until it landed on the ground, because the winch connection had broken. And I thought, (laughs) why? Why am I here? And then I look down, and I see that not only did the winch come off, but my front left tire is now flat, and we are stuck in the mud. At that point, half of my carload of people got up and started walking back to town. They were very wise. (laughs) For me, (laughs) I was stuck here. Uh, My pastor and Joseph, they started working on the winch. I started inflating in the tire. Two hours later, we were up and ready to go. So we continued on our way. And we continued a little ways, and again, stuck. This time the winch was working, so it only took us a couple minutes, and we continued. And by the time we were there, I I told them, you have 15 minutes, because I do not want to sleep out here, and we have a huge road to get back to in front of us. It's a miracle that they only spent 15 minutes, because they must have seen how frustrated I was in the situation. So I got back in the car, we headed on our way, we navigated every single one of the potholes that we went successfully, and we came to a fork in the road. As we had been on our journey, one of the cars that had taken the body had already returned back and passed us on the way. And so as I hit the fork in the road, the right fork takes you on a conservative but longer route back to town, and the left fork takes you through the mud. So I had made my decision, we are not touching that one. It's getting close to dark, I have no interest in being there faster, let's get there the slow route, and get home. And on the corner was the guy waving, please stop, I need help, I'm stuck. If you're stuck in South Sudan and someone another car is around, you can rely on them because at some point, you are going to be the stuck car and you have to help them. So under obligation, I drive down the left fork to where he's parked and he says, just go this way through the mud. This is the way that I went and I didn't make it, but if that way looks good and you'll make it. So I drive into the mud, stuck, up to the running boards, nowhere to go, I get out. This place, there is no dry place around me, so we're now knee deep in mud. I roll up my pants, we try to winch, the winch doesn't work, we're too stuck. We try to dig, the dig doesn't work. We try to winch his car to my car to see if we can get him out, that doesn't work. We're thoroughly stuck. So in the wallow of it, or in the the mire of the mud, I take off these beautiful shoes of mine, try to clean them out of the mud and set them aside. Our only hope at this point, as it's getting dark and darker and darker, is that there is still another car behind us. And if he can pull me out, then I can pull him out, then we're all out of this mess. So the group of guys from that car come, and they try to push me out again. Still no luck. But finally, we get a tow rope, he pulls me out of the mud. Backwards, I'm out of the mud. I pull the other guy out of the mud. I go to retrieve my shoes, and someone has stolen my shoes. (laughs) So now, I'm in the middle of South Sudan, fuming. (laughs) Why in the world, God, did I go on this trip for 15 minutes to put my car through this to lose my favorite pair of shoes in the mud? And as I'm driving aback, this is circling in my bare feet, circling through my head of why in the world am I in this situation? And isn't that the question that we all end up when we're suffering? No matter what we're suffering from, it's always the why. Why is this happening? It makes no sense. Why am I here? And it leads you to a place where you just... Wallow in those whys and it really causes you a a big problem. So I think as we look at this, this question of why, it gives us a picture of the Western mentality on suffering. We wallow in that why, we don't understand the purpose, we think it's senseless and we stay in that place, wallowing in those whys. And it leads us to another question, I just need a to finish this suffering. I just need a, you fill in the blank. And then we we teach, we keep talking that over and over in our brain. I I don't understand this, why, 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 I just need a, and we fill in the blank. And then we teach that to our friends when they're in the suffering. And it's a very dangerous place to go when we're in suffering is to, to wallow in the why and then to ask the question, I just need a, or to make that statement, I just need a, and then we fill that blank in and then we teach that to our friends repeatedly and that's our way of coping with suffering. The South Sudanese, they have a different way of coping with suffering. Their worldview is different. They're an animistic people group. Um, so those that come out of animism have a strong fear or worship of ancestors on the way that they affect life. And so they live by blessings and curses, but more on the cursing side of it. So if one of their ancestors has cursed them, that is the reason that it provides for them the worldview on how to process suffering. So interestingly, they don't ask the why question. In fact, they're much farther along in the game than we are because they accept that trouble is going to come their way. They accept that as part of life, and so they don't wallow in that why, but they, they move instead to this piece of fear based in their worldview of somebody's cursing me and I just need to get back at that person. And so their processing ends in revenge. Who can I take my suffering out on? Somebody has caused this suffering in my life so who can i take this suffering out on And we end up in that place of asking one or the other Either the the suffering that we has no purpose or if i am suffering i need to take it out on somebody else But the bible doesn't deal with suffering that way And this morning i wanted to deal with And look at what is the biblical response to suffering? How do we deal with suffering from the Bible's perspective? And so there's many, many places that we can go in the Bible to look at this topic. I've picked one text from the book of Romans. Let me read it together and we will meditate a little bit on this. From Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, it says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And this is the framework of what suffering talks about, the way that we talk about suffering from a biblical standpoint. And this morning, I wanted to look at three points that we can draw from not only this text, but what the Bible as a whole says. And so the first point is to avoid and accept. If we take that point by itself, it's a pretty weak point. (laughs) But what the Bible clearly teaches us in 1 Peter and in others is that there's two types of suffering. The first type of suffering is man-made suffering or self-induced suffering, where we do something really stupid, we fall to the temptations of this world, and we end up in suffering and the consequences that come with that suffering. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at the list of things that we can do, but the point is that there is self-induced suffering with natural consequences, and then there's another category which is much more mysterious. And that category is God-given suffering. Suffering that comes to us not because we asked for it or caused it in our own doing, but because we were either born into it, in the case of South Sudan, or because the world has brought it to us in one way or another. Such sufferings like famine and flood. Sufferings of being born in an undeveloped country. Sufferings under a government that is unstable. South Sudan's suffering is by far beyond anything that I've ever experienced. If you look at their history from the Arab slave traders to now, they've been under oppression of some sort or another. So just being born in South Sudan means that you suffer. And so what do we do with that? Well, the Bible promises that we will suffer, that troubles will come, especially for us believers. That if we believe in the name of Christ, that we will suffer for it. And so we have these two categories. One, self-made suffering. And two, God-given suffering. And I think that the principle behind it is avoid these things that are going to cause self-made suffering. And accept these things that God gives us. And while that word accept is, is a bit weak, that's really what we need to do in that. But I think within that God-given category, I wanted to look at that a little bit more. Because I think in that, within that God-given category, we have a choice. When we look at the choice, if we look at the God-given suffering as senseless, we can see very clearly that ends us up in the wallowing in the wise. And in that place, we find bitterness, we find apathy, we can get depressed when we're there, and ultimately, we end up hopeless. So if our suffering is senseless, this is kind of where that leads us, is to a place of hopelessness. But God talks about suffering very differently. If we go back to the verse, I don't know if you can flip back for me, but in Romans chapter 2, or sorry, Romans chapter 5, it goes with this progression. It says rejoice, suffer, and from suffer we get endurance, and from endurance we get build character, and that character is rooted in hope. And that hope is poured in by the love of Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a much different place than senseless suffering. The Bible talks instead about transformational suffering. And so I think our choice is, are we going to look at suffering as senseless, or are we going to look at suffering as transformational? And if we look at transformational suffering, then our end point is not hopelessness, but we actually end in hope. In my brain, suffering and hope do not connect But in God's biblical teaching, suffering and hope are what go together. Hope comes out of suffering. So as I wrestle with this, I see a much different way of looking at suffering. Suffering that leads us to transformation. So the third point that we would look at is that in order to get to this hope that we have in suffering, we have to have a perspective change. And their perspective change has to move from start asking the question of who rather than the question of why. Who is the one that designed this suffering and for what purpose did he design the suffering in my life? So we start asking the question of who rather than why. And I love. As I've been thinking through this thing and the perspective piece of this, there's several pieces that come together. And one of the the things that I'm thinking about that you can wrestle with is that I've decided that hope does not stick in our life until it's been worn through suffering. Now, that's not in the Bible, so take it for what you want. But think about it, that if we really want hope that sticks in our life, it has to be worn through the sufferings of our life. And that has to be what we land on. The book of 1 Peter, which is a a great teaching on suffering, says in chapter 3 that we must have an answer for the hope that we find in Christ. That verse is in the midst of Peter explaining how we are to suffer and how we are to go through suffering in this world. And so when he says that in that verse, it's, it's... takes on a different connotation if we leave it in context of what it's saying. Because you are going to go through suffering, you must have an answer ready. And that answer must be given with gentleness and respect. And then he goes on to say in chapter 4, just a few verses later, that just as Christ suffered, so we must arm ourselves with the same way of thinking as we enter suffering. So I think in the practical sense, this hope has to be rooted in something that we're talking about. And the beautiful thing is that both Peter and Paul and everywhere else that we look in the Bible does not leave this hope as this empty thing, but completely roots it in who Christ is. In Romans, I I just decided this morning that I had to read this passage, the rest of this passage, because it's so beautifully written, so I don't have it up there. But let me read it through from verses two. It says, Through him we have also obtained by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So he starts right here. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God showed his love for us in that we were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It continues on on how amazing Christ's love is for us. How beautiful that love is. How Christ suffered alongside of us in order that we might live eternally with Him. Our hope is not on flimsy things, it's on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And when we have that perspective, we need to go into suffering with that perspective. I think as he says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, he's saying prepare yourself, premeditate on who Christ is so that when you get into suffering, you have that perspective. Meditate it on when you're in suffering and post-meditate on it, if that's a term or a phrase, when you've gone through the suffering and come out the other side on what you have learned about who Christ is in your life. When you're dealing with deep, deep suffering, this is the only way that the Bible describes how to do it, is to go to Christ, be rooted in Christ, and find your hope in Christ. And the more that you sit on that hope, the more it will continue to show itself in your life, in your character, and the way that you live it out. The way that this is described the best is in the book of Job. In the book of Job, For those of you that are not familiar with the book of Job, it's another book on suffering. And it spends 41 chapters or 40 chapters, Job going back and forth with his friends on the purpose of this suffering and the ins and outs of suffering as a righteous person. And what he comes to after God talks to him and shows his glory to him is he comes to this point. And I think it is the most beautiful description of what happens in our suffering says, I had heard of you by the hearing of your ear, but now my eyes sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job is saying, I had heard about you. I had known about that you were a good God. But after walking these trenches with you, after suffering without understanding the cause of suffering, I have come to understand you in a way that I never understood you before. My eyes see you for who you are. And I think that is the beautiful truth behind suffering. We can hear about God. We can say we have hope. But until that hope rides through suffering, it's a weak hope. The hope that is founded in Jesus is the hope that we have. So let me circle back to the beginning. The quote I gave you at the beginning was, Feast on the word and live it out in the village. This is a really good missionary quote. Not all of us in here are missionaries in the sense that we, go, we have gone out overseas, but all of us are called to live missionally. And whatever line we've been telling ourselves about suffering in the past, if we feast on the word and go back to who Jesus is, and find our hope in there, then we have an answer for our own suffering, but we also have an answer for the world around us. And it is our duty to know Christ well enough to give it out in the village, in Modesto, in every place that we go and see. Let me pray for us to do that today. Jesus, we come to you. We love who you are. We want to know you more. We thank you that you suffered alongside of us. That your suffering that went to the cross and defeated the cross gives us hope to live each day through the trials and through the troubles that you've brought our way. Lord, help us to go live this out. There is a world that is hurting in our own backyard and all over the world that needs the hope of Jesus us take it there by the power of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.